so you can all go home, you're dismissed. I'm just kidding. But for those of you who weren't here or online didn't hear the message, if you, next week if you show up at the same time, that's pretty much what you're going to hear because you're going to be a half hour late. Because we're going to start the service at 10 o'clock instead of 10.30 next week. So just wanted you to be up to speed and know that's all you'll hear. So 10 o'clock. Um, so I want to echo and ditto that. Uh, thank you, Greg and Ed. Ed was here a little bit ago, but thank you guys for your leadership. And I don't want to follow anybody else in this church except you guys. And you do a wonderful job. So how is everybody this morning? Did you know we had an election this week? Anybody, anybody aware of that, that you, you might have heard that? Um, so we did. And some of you guys are elated that your guy got in. Some of you are upset that your guy didn't get in. Some of you guys don't care who got in. Some of you guys are just glad it's over, right? And you probably fall in one of those categories. But needless to say, it was a big event, and emotions have run high this week. And I really felt that... Um, you know, God just wanted me to speak into that today and to just share with you what I believe is on his heart. So, you know, sometimes we just get caught up in the moment, right? Or just get caught up in the phase of life that we're in. And we lose sight of the big picture, don't we? You know, a lot of times we have an agenda in our life or we have goals that we want to do and something happens and it turns it sideways on us and it doesn't go the way that we wanted it to go. And sometimes other people make decisions that completely derail your life. And uh, I remember when my wife and I, before we moved to New Hampshire, we were living in California, and I wanted to be, my dream was to be an Orange County, California sheriff. So I went through all of the tests, and I went through the written test and the um, physical test, I did the background check, I did all that, and I had one exam left, and that was the psychological exam, where you take a psych test and then you sit in front of a board. And the week before my test, I was let go from my job, and I was mad because it wasn't fair. It was totally wrong. Everything that they did was wrong. But the next week I went and I took my psychological test and then I sat behind in front of the people of the board and they said, you know what? We, we sense that you're angry. I'm like, yes, yes, I'm angry. And they said, do you want to elaborate? Tell us a little bit about that. So I shared with them the whole story and I thought that they would come and see my position, you know, because it was unfair and it was not right. But they said to me, we suggest that you come back in six months and try this again. And I'm like, try what again? The whole thing? And they, yep, I have to start from square one? I said, yep. I said, well, that's not fair. So fast forward a little bit. I, instead, I started a business, and we moved to New Hampshire. And right when we got here, the recession hit. And everything just went kaput. And life got derailed, and I ended up having to shut that down. And life was derailed, and it wasn't fair. But what's our role as Christians when we lose control? What's our role as a Christian? And I think the first step that we have to do is to step back and to realize the qualities of God that we serve. So there's three qualities I just want to bring up, and you guys know them, but sometimes we just need to realize who it is that we serve. And the first, that God is omniscient. And that means that God knows everything. There's nothing that God doesn't already know. There's nothing for him to learn. There's nothing that he's not aware of already. There's nothing that he doesn't already know. The second thing in that God is omnipresent, which means that he's constantly encountered. He is everywhere. Everywhere you go, God is. You can't hide from him. You can't get away from him. You can't grumble against him without him being in your presence and knowing it. 
You can't plot against God without him knowing of it and being in the midst of it. God is everywhere. And lastly, God is omnipotent, which means God has unlimited power. God can do anything, anything that he wants, whenever he wants, and there's not anything in the universe that can stop him from achieving whatever he wants. The universe can't stop him. You and I, on the other hand, we're none of these three things. (laughs) We're none of these three things, are we? You see, God just decided to make a universe because he could. God went and he started this universe, and he didn't consult anybody. He just did it. He made stars. He made planets. He made solar systems. He didn't have an architectural team. He didn't have anybody to consult. He didn't have a prior example to look at. He just did it. There wasn't a YouTube video for him to consult. He just made it. Everything, every animal, every plant, every microorganism, everything God made. In fact, I think it'd be cool instead of putting on the back of our shirts made in USA or made in Vietnam or China that we said made by God. I think I want to start a trend. But he made everything. And sometimes I think we just forget who this God is that we serve. And we get into the habit of wanting to dictate to him and say, this is the way it should be because I want to be happy. That's all what we want, isn't it? We start to dictate to God. If you were to come to my house and say, you know what, Steve, I... I don't like your furniture. <laughs> I, I don't like where you place it. I don't like anything about it. In fact, I don't like what you have on the walls. And I don't like the color that you painted it. I'd probably say, thanks, but no thanks. I don't need your input. But until you start paying for it, until you start paying for the mortgage and my furniture and my artwork and my paint, then you can have some input. But until then, you know, buzz off. I don't, I don't need your input. And until we start creating planets and solar systems, In universes, we don't have the ability to dictate to God how he wants to run it. Because, you see, God has a plan and God has a purpose and only he knows what it is and he will do whatever it takes to accomplish his plan and his purposes. And this might sound harsh, but God doesn't need your input. God doesn't need your advice. God doesn't need your skills God doesn't really even need you to accomplish his plans and his purposes, but we need him, and we need him desperately. So today, I want to read some scripture, and I know that some of you, and maybe some of you that are listening, today's a day when you're just unsettled, and it might be because of the election, it might be because of a challenge that you're going through in your life, something's pressing in on you, and you're anxious or you're frustrated. And you're just uneasy today. I've talked to a number of people who just say they've got a a pit in their stomach. And it's not even so much the election, it's the state of everything. And I love how God works and gave Ed that word this morning. Ed had no idea what I was going to speak about, but God just aligns that when we come in on a Sunday and he has it prepared. So if that's you today, I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to soak in the word that God, our creator, gave us. And I want it to go all the way into your soul and into your spirit. All right, if you want to join me, we're reading from Isaiah 44. So we're going to, we're going to read a little bit here. <clears throat> it says, This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. It's Isaiah 44, 24. It says, I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself, who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense 
who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited. Of the towns of Judah, they shall be rebuilt. And of their ruins, I will restore them. Who says to the watery deep, be dry, and I will dry up your streams. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundations be laid. So a note on Cyrus that he mentions there, he wasn't a believer. He wasn't a believer in God. Isaiah 45 verse 9 says, Woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but potsherds. And a potsherd is just a broken piece of ceramic. It says, those who are nothing but potsherds among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? Woe to the one who says to a father, what have you begotten? Or to a mother, what have you brought to birth? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker, concerning things to come. Do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind on it. My own hands stretched out the heavens, and I marshaled their starry hosts. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free. But not for a price or a reward, says the Lord Almighty. And a couple more, Psalm 103. It says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. In Psalm 135, 6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Daniel 4, 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Isaiah 46, 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. And lastly, Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You see, guys, when things don't go our way, when things go sideways on us or we have a trial pressing, then we have to realize that's the crushing of the grape. A grape doesn't become wine until it's squeezed and crushed. And that's the only way that it becomes wine. And the hardest part of us as Christians sometimes is that we have to submit our will to be crushed by God. Not having plans our go our way or having, you know, to walk through a trial or a hardship are a lot of times the biggest stumbling blocks in our faith walk. But we have to realize that our main goal in our Christian life isn't to get life the way that we want it with all the blessings and all the good things and not have any hardship. That's not the main goal of our Christian walk. The main goal of our Christian walk is to become identified with Christ and to become his. Let me say that again because sometimes we just need to hear it. The main goal of our walk isn't to get what we want, to get all the blessings God has for us and to have things go our way and not have any hardship. That's not the main goal of why we're here. The main goal of why we're here is to become identified with Christ and to become his. Any good thing that you have in your life, it's a blessing. It's the frosting on the cake, the cherry on top of the sundae. That's the blessing. But you can only be made into what God has for you and your destiny by being willing to be crushed, by being willing to have your will not be your will, but to have his. 
And when you submit yourself to God's sovereignty and to his will, you open this door to become part of God's plan in a sovereign will. And you see him through a whole new lens. But here's the key. It's how you respond to events in your life that make or break you. It's not the event itself. It's how you respond. If it's the election, it's how we respond. If it's the squeezing that you're going through in your own life, whether it's health, whether it's money, it's how you respond to the issue that makes or breaks you. It's not the issue itself. So I want to have an example. So Carrie Huntress, can I borrow you? And can I borrow you? I don't know your name. Yep. What's your name? Natasha. Natasha, come on up. Come on, Carrie. I'll give you guys a little example here. You don't need your mask, but you'll have to say on other sides. So I'm a, oops, I'm sorry. Let's get this going. All right, so Natasha, it's Natasha, right? So I'd like you to open that and take a spoonful of that and eat it. Do you trust me? You don't even know me. This is blind trust. How is it? Pretty good? You like it? Okay, that's awesome. Your turn, Carrie. <laughs> How is it? Mm-mm. Tastes bad, right? So she got sugar. She got baking soda. Yeah, you guys, we don't know how to bake, but I guarantee you I taste it. It tastes like crud. So thank you, guys. You can keep the spoon. But thank you. Here. (laughs) You want to know the thing about this? Both of these ingredients are necessary to bake a cake. Right? Some ingredients on their own taste great. Some ingredients on their own taste horrible. But you can't leave either one of them out. You need both. And you see, God has a recipe, and God has a plan, and it's good. And we can't judge his plan based on one ingredient that we encounter. You have to wait. There's a blending process and a baking process. I'm going to give you two examples. Remember Joseph in the Bible? Remember, Joseph was his dad's favorite son, and his dad gave him a coat of many colors. You've probably heard that in the, in the Bible. And Joseph grew up, and he had all these brothers, but his brothers hated him. And they took him, and they were, they, they were going to get rid of him and kill him. They threw him in a well, and they were just going to tell dad, hey, we don't know, he died, whatever their excuse was going to be. But they decided against that, and they pulled him out, and they sold him into slavery. And he went to be a slave in Potiphar's house. And I, <laughs> I got this all wrong for a service, but I'm going to get it right this time. So... Joseph sat in Potiphar's house, and he, made, he did a really good job. He tried really hard. He rose to a position of prominence. And then Potiphar's wife accused him of rape. And it was not true. It was false. But they threw him into prison, and Potiphar, or Joseph ended up in prison. And he's sitting in prison, and there are two other guys in prison with him, and they had dreams. And Joseph was blessed with the ability to interpret dreams. So they came to him, and they said, Joseph, what does my dream mean? 
One was a butler and one was a baker. And the baker, he told him, you know what? You're not going to make it. You're going to die. And to, <laughs> this is where I screwed up before, to the butler, he told him, you're going to make it. And so the butler ended up getting out of prison and he told him, I'm going to remember you, Joseph. I'm going to get you sprung out of prison. And he got out and he forgot all about him. So Joseph's in prison and I'm sure as he sat in prison, he's going, this stinks. I didn't sign up for this. This isn't fair. I didn't commit rape. I didn't do any of this. This is a baking powder moment right now. I hate this. And along comes Pharaoh and he goes in to take the place of Potiphar. And Pharaoh has a dream. And they remember Joseph sitting in prison. They call him. And he comes up and he interprets the dream for Pharaoh. And it's right. He ends up saving his family and saving the Israelites. The whole time God was accomplishing his purpose by moving things along, it took time. Remember Ruth in the Bible? Ruth had a great life. Ruth was married. She's happy. She's got a sister-in-law and a brother-in-law. She's got a mother-in-law and a father-in-law. And then her sister's husband dies. And her mother-in-law, her father-in-law, actually, he dies. And her husband dies. All three men gone. And there's three women left. And they have nothing. They have nothing. And the mother-in-law says, I'm going to move home to where my family is from. You girls don't have to come with me. You can go back to your families. And the one sister-in-law says, I'm going to do that. Ruth says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to stay with you and take care of you. And the mother-in-law says, you don't have to. And she goes, no, I'm going to. So they move back to where the mother-in-law was from. And Ruth gets there and she doesn't know anybody. She knows nobody, and they don't have any food. They don't have any way to make a living. So Ruth has to go out into the field, and she has to go behind the farmers and pick up what's left of the grain. And I'm sure as she's picking this up, she's thinking, this stinks. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't do anything wrong. I've done nothing, and this is my life? I had a great life. This isn't fair. It's not fair. But God brings along a guy named Boaz, and Boaz tells his farmers, leave her a little extra food. And she picks up the food. Fast forward, and the two of them get married. And God sends a redeemer to redeem her. And they get married, and they have a kid. And the kid's name is Obed. Obed gets married, and he has a kid. And that kid's name is Jesse. Jesse gets married, and he has a kid. His name is David. And follow the line straight down to Jesus. Now, what if Ruth had said, I want my happiness to be above God's will? What would that be like? But she submitted herself to a sovereign will. And the whole time, God's moving this plan along to accomplish his purpose, no matter what. You see, unless you put these ingredients in the fire and you bake it, it doesn't come out, does it? So our response to God's sovereignty will determine our destiny. So how do you respond when things don't go your way? Whether it's the election, whether it's the predicament that you find yourself in for this season of life, how do you respond? Do you respond? Do you get angry? Do you get frustrated? Do you get anxious? Do you become isolated? Do you just want to throw in the towel and say, heck with the whole thing? Wouldn't it be better if we acknowledged God's sovereignty and we got behind the driver of the bus instead of fighting him for the wheel the whole time? What if we responded with the power of God? 
What if we responded to the things that happened to us with love or joy or patience or kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, or self-control? What if that was our response, that we let the fruit and the power of the Holy Spirit respond and work through us? What if we responded to say, God, you know what? I don't know what's going on. I don't have the answers, but I'm going to submit myself to your sovereign will. And we asked him for guidance and permission. You ever heard the saying, the refiner's fire? There's a song about it. But it's from Malachi 3.3, and it says this, And he shall sit as a refiner in a purifier of silver. So there was a woman that read this in the Bible, and she says, I wonder what that really means, the deeper meaning of that little part of of scripture. So she went and found a silversmith and she said, can you explain to me the process of refining silver? How does it work? And he says, well, when I do it, I have to sit in front of the furnace and I fix my eyes steadily on the service, on the, on the silver, while all the impurities get burned out. He says, but you got to be careful that I don't let it go too long or otherwise I'm going to damage the silver. And the scripture says, he shall sit as a purifier as a refiner and a purifier of silver. You see, God's going to put you into the furnace. But when he does, he's going to focus intently on you. And he knows exactly how long he needs to keep you in the furnace. And he does it with his wisdom and his love are both engaged on your best interest. And he knows exactly when to pull you out. As that lady was leaving, the silversmith goes, Hey, lady! And she turned around and he goes, I I forgot to tell you, you want to know how I know when it's done, she goes, how? And he says, I know when the silver's done when I can see my own reflection in the silver. You see, that's us, you guys. That's us. God wants to make us into his image. So you have a choice today. You have a choice. Maybe it's the outcome and the stress of the election. Maybe it's something else in your life that's just got you turned sideways. And it's become a trial for you. So do you want to become bitter? Do you want to become angry? Or do you want to become the pure silver that God wants you to be? Do you want to be a light for others that points them to Jesus? Or do you want to be a cobblestone in the street that they stumble over? Trump or Biden? And I'm going to speak directly just to this. If your guy got in, realize there's half of the country that's hurting. Half of the country that's upset. Half of the country that has an opinion. And our job as a Christian is to provide healing. Our job as a Christian is to rise above it and realize God has a sovereign will. We're to love other people. We're to show them compassion. We're to show empathy towards other people and to bring healing, even when it doesn't seem fair. If your guy didn't get in, realize that we need to trust God, that he can use the man that's in the office for whatever purpose he wants, even if the man is not a believer. God has a sovereign plan, and it's not about us. It's about God. So would you stand with me? So you guys, if we take God at his word, and I love what he said to Ed, do you trust him? Not halfway. Do you trust him all the way, with all of your heart? If you do, there's peace in the middle of your trial, whatever you're going through. There's peace in the middle of today with maybe election didn't turn out how you planned or how you wanted it to. There's peace in the middle of that. How do you submit yourself and how do you push into him? If you do and you let his word infiltrate your heart, there's 
rivers of living water that will come out of you for other people. We're here to point people to Jesus. That's the goal. That's the main event. And there's a lot of passion and a lot of energy surrounding these events. But God didn't make a mistake this week. So if you want to have prayer today, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to take your anxiety and your frustration and your upset, whatever it is. I don't want to take you to take it with you out the door. I want you to leave it here at the altar. God's in control, not us. And he will accomplish his sovereign plan no matter what. So we submit ourselves to that today. And if you need to leave it here at the altar, I want to provide a time of prayer after we close. Come up and leave it here. Your goal when you leave these doors today isn't to take that with you, to stew on it, to let it control you, whatever your issue is. Your goal is to point people to Jesus and let him carry the burden. So let's just pray. Father God, I thank you. God, I thank you for your sovereign will. I thank you, God, that you didn't miss a beat this week. Nothing was a surprise to you. Nothing, nothing, God. You had it under control. You still do. And you'll accomplish your plan, even if this seems like a baking powder moment to us and we can't see it, God. In the end, your recipe is good. Your plan is good. And you have our best interest in mind because you love us like crazy, God. You care for us deeply. You'll never leave us hanging. You'll never forsake us. God, you have the best interest in your in mind. And I thank you for that, God. I pray that you would just put salve on the wounds of people who may be here today for whatever issue, whether it's health, whether it's finances, whether it's the election, whether it's just a feeling that life is out of control. God, I put salve on their wounds, put peace in their heart, put comfort on their heart, Lord. Help them to just step back and get the bigger picture that you have a plan and you have a purpose. And we submit ourselves to your sovereign will today, Lord. We leave the, everything else at the altar for you to carry, God. Your burden is light. So we thank you, Father God, for being a gracious and mighty God. We thank you for mercy and compassion. We thank you that you love us and that you sent your son to die for us. We give you grace, Lord. We give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you'd like to pray, we'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great day and a great week. Amen.